Okay, so the good news is that I swear I'm almost done with season four on the first 19 years of Israel's existence from 1948 to 1967. The bad news is that it's been an eventful summer with the pandemic and the race riots in America and now, just a few days ago, a major historical event in the Middle East. So I got to address it. But to keep things moving, I'm releasing two episodes today. Episode 98 on Israel's spies in the 1960s, which is the next episode for season four. And this one, episode number 99 on current events in Israel this past week. 99 episodes of Jew I Don't Know. Very cool. Okay, so just this past Thursday, August 13th, headlines blared around the world that Israel and the United Arab Emirates had agreed to normalize relations. That is, to make a peace deal together. And if you're wondering whether or not this is a big deal, I'm here to tell you that it is a humongous big deal. Today I'm going to tell you why. What happened, what it is, why now, and who are the winners and the losers. At your next socially distanced cocktail party, you will be fully ready to annoy all your guests with your up-to-date knowledge of the Middle East. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and welcome to the 99th episode of Jew I Don't Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So for the last decade or so, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has had a theory. His theory was that Israel could make peace with Arab countries without having to first solve the conflict with the Palestinians and without having to give up anything major, like giving back land. He believed that the Arab countries had moved beyond the plight of the Palestinians to embrace bigger national concerns on which Israel could be helpful. Now, some people bought into that theory, but most did not. The assumption has nearly always been that solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in a way that would be mostly favorable to the Palestinians was the key to unlocking Israel's relationship with the Arab countries and therefore the only real way to make progress in the Middle East. And indeed, for Israel's 72 years of existence, the Arab world has refused to make peace with Israel. Now, that's not only because of the Palestinians, there are a lot of other reasons, but the Palestinians have been a very convenient excuse this whole time. Take that excuse away, says the assumption, and the Arab states will fall in line to make peace. Now, in 72 years, only two countries have ever made peace with Israel. The first was Egypt in 1979. Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin and Egyptian President Anwar Sadat agreed to end the state of war between them, which had existed since 1948. Israel gave up the Sinai Peninsula, which it had captured from Egypt in 1967. The Israeli army withdrew completely, and the Israeli settlers, who had created several towns in the peninsula, all had to leave too. In exchange, Israel didn't militarize the Sinai Peninsula and ceased all acts of aggression towards Israel. That agreement is still in place today as the foundational Middle Eastern Peace Treaty. The only other country to make peace with Israel was the Kingdom of Jordan in 1994. Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and Jordanian Prime Minister Abdel Salam al-Majali established what are called normal diplomatic relations between the countries. That is, embassies and ambassadors and agreements over all kinds of normal things from tourism to trade to water usage and that agreement, too, has held up over the years. So in seven decades, only two Arab countries have ever made peace with Israel. Until last week, 
when on August 13th, 2020, the United Arab Emirates became the third. So yes, this is a huge deal, a real-life historic moment for Israel and the greater Middle East. It is potentially game-changing. So why the United Arab Emirates, and why now? I've always believed that we could establish peace with the Arab world, and I've been working towards that lofty goal for decades. You may not know it, but I've been doing it all the time, in meetings that are publicized and in many that are not. In Washington, in the Middle East, in daylight, and in nighttime. Israel and the United Arab Emirates, abbreviated as the UAE, have announced that they intend to normalize diplomatic relations and will sign the necessary agreements over the next six months. Everything from exchanging ambassadors to starting direct flights between Tel Aviv and Dubai to security matters, trade and finance, joint economic projects, the works. As you just heard from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, this is a real vindication of his theory that Israel can make peace with Arab countries before solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And he focused on a particularly good area for agreement, the Arab states around the Persian Gulf, the UAE, Bahrain, Oman, even Saudi Arabia. And the reason is because Israel and the Gulf states have a mutual interest or mutual enemy, Iran. There are two big spheres of power and influence in the Middle East right now, Iran and Saudi Arabia. They represent different sects of Islam that have a history of violent confrontation. Iran is Shia Muslim and the Saudis are Sunni. Most of the Gulf states are also Sunni, so are aligned with the Saudis. The last thing they want is to live in a Middle East that's run by Iran. For years now, they have looked with increasing fear and alarm as Iran has rushed to develop nuclear weapons and taken advantage of the power vacuum left by America's war in Iraq to effectively take over that country from the inside. Iran's military has the ability to close off the Persian Gulf, that is, blocking all the Gulf states' oil tankers from getting in and out, wrecking those economies. So Iran is a huge threat to the Gulf states. So this agreement isn't coming out of nowhere. Netanyahu has been patiently wooing the Gulf states for years, and they've all been cooperating with Israel behind the scenes. Even the Saudis, who have a history of intense hatred against Israel, have been quietly engaging. Netanyahu isn't the first or only prime minister to make this effort. Yitzhak Rabin went to Oman in 1994, Shimon Peres in 1996, Netanyahu made a secret visit to Oman in 2018, and there's been some basic economic ties between the two countries for a long time. But at this point, what we're seeing is the Gulf states and Israel cooperating on security, mostly directed against Iran and its nuclear weapons program. It's been covert, kind of the worst kept secret in the Middle East, but this peace deal is part of Netanyahu's efforts to bring that cooperation out into the open. This existential threat of Iran is driving the Arabs and Israel together, and which has culminated in this historic peace deal. But it's not the only reason. Decades of corruption and repression in the Gulf states have left their people angry and resentful. The Arab Spring protests over the last decade could be a direct threat to their rule. So more important than supporting the Palestinians is the need to boost their economies and make new allies, hence the pivot towards Israel, which hates Iran as much as they do and also has a world-class economy and tech sector. And make no mistake, while it was the United Arab Emirates making the peace deal with Israel, there's no doubt that the Saudis are behind it, giving permission to their UAE allies. Already, everyone is talking about which country is going to be the next to sign up for peace with Israel. Bahrain, Oman, and Morocco are the three I'm seeing mentioned the most, also Sudan. 
So we might very well be looking at a new era in the Middle East, one in which, over the next decade or so, some of Israel's historic enemies make peace in order to head off the threat of Iran. Now there is one catch in the peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Israel has to abort any efforts to annex the West Bank. That is, to declare parts of the West Bank officially Israeli territory, since that is theoretically supposed to be for the future Palestinian state. Netanyahu won the last election in part by promising the right wing that he would annex parts of the West Bank this summer. It was supposed to happen July 1st, but he kept postponing it. Now we know why. It's because he was negotiating this deal with the UAE. But Netanyahu also has a habit of making big promises to the right wing and then finding excuses not to follow through. Now Netanyahu has said that the prohibition on annexing the West Bank is only temporary. He'll still do it someday, he insists. But the UAE says they signed the deal on the understanding that this is permanent, that Israel will never annex the West Bank. So we'll see, but a good bet is that it's going to be a very long time before Israel tries to annex the West Bank, especially if other Arab states are going to start jumping on the peace bandwagon. Remember, this isn't Israel giving up territory it already has. It's giving up territory it could maybe have in the future. Not a terribly steep price to pay, unless you're the Israeli right wing that desperately wants it. So very slick move by Netanyahu. And all of which brings me to the winners and losers of this peace deal. Now the number one winner is Benjamin Netanyahu. Not only was his theory of Israeli foreign policy proven correct, but with this peace deal he is instantly vaulted to the top tier of Israeli leadership. Only two other prime ministers, Menachem Begin and Yitzhak Rabin, have managed a peace deal with the Arabs, and now Netanyahu gets to count himself in a class with two of Israel's most revered leaders. For the last five years or so, Netanyahu has been chipping away at, at little diplomatic courtesies here and there with the UAE, and it just paid off huge. Politically, this deal might just save Netanyahu's butt. Things have not been going well for him since he won the last election a few months ago. He is facing trial for corruption, and a lot of people and politicians think that he should have to step down. He is desperately trying to get the Knesset, Israel's parliament, to pass a law granting him immunity. So far, the Knesset, even some of his own allies, aren't going for it. His political support is shaky too, and there have been rumblings about Israel needing to hold yet another election. What would be the fourth in just the last couple of years? And the Israeli electorate isn't very happy with him lately either. Israel handled the early stage of the coronavirus pandemic extremely well. Netanyahu locked the country down early and quickly and provided an economic stimulus to stave off the worst impact. Several months ago, he was riding high as one of the best world leaders in his response to the pandemic. But then he bungled the second round. He opened up Israel too soon, especially the schools, and infections spread quickly. The economy is tanking too. For the last several weeks, protesters have been gathering outside his house in Jerusalem. They're upset about the corruption, the handling of the coronavirus, and especially the enormously high costs of living. Young people can no longer afford to rent apartments or young families to buy houses, so things have been looking dicey for him lately. This peace deal isn't going to make those grievances go away, but it does give Netanyahu a major victory. Hey, I'm the guy who just made peace with the Arabs, he gets to say. Beat that. I want to thank President Trump for his critical help in brokering this historic accord. 
And I want to thank him for his revolutionary vision for peace, which is the most realistic and important formula for peace in the region. President Trump's Middle East plan served as a basis for today's historic peace announcement. Another winner is Donald Trump. Back in January, he put forward a Trump peace plan that was basically dead on arrival. It was a huge gift basket to the Israeli right that did absolutely nothing for the Palestinians, so everyone mostly ignored it. But now it's back to life with a major win. The United States was the key player in this deal, with Jared Kushner apparently acting as the mediator between Israeli and UAE officials over the last year or so. So, a rare and significant foreign policy win for the White House. The other winners are the autocratic leaders of the Gulf states, not just the UAE, but also Saudi Arabia. It's still a little early to tell, but there was not a lot of blowback in the UAE against making peace with Israel. You're not seeing massive protests in the streets. Instead, kind of the opposite. It seems most people are either very excited or just don't care all that much. And that brings me to the losers. Well, the biggest one is the Palestinians. They feel shocked and betrayed. Remember, the understanding these past decades has been that the Arabs don't make peace with Israel until the Palestinians get what they want. But the Palestinians have rejected just about every single last offer the Israelis or anyone else has ever made. When you never show up to the party, at some point, people just stop inviting you. As we've seen, the Gulf states have bigger fish to fry. That's not to say the other Arab countries no longer care about the Palestinians. The UAE insists this peace deal is actually good for them, since it prevents Israel from annexing the West Bank, which isn't a terrible argument. But still, for the Palestinians, they have yet again found that the Arab countries will pay lip service to their cause when it doesn't cost anything. But when there is an advantage to be had from throwing the Palestinians under the bus, well, the other Arab countries will take it. But again, we've been dealing with the same old pattern of Palestinian rejectionism for decades. People are eager for a different approach. This poses a long-term question that's interesting. If the other Arab states start joining the UAE and making peace with Israel, will that force the Palestinians to reconsider their own rejectionism and to start saying yes to deals with the Israelis? For a lot of reasons, I doubt it. But it's the Middle East and stranger things have happened. The other big losers, ironically, are the Palestinians' nemesis, the Israeli right wing. These poor guys. They really thought they had finally made it to permanently take over the West Bank. The Israeli left has been crushed in recent years and barely exists as an opposition. The Israeli prime minister is beholden to the right wing for votes to win elections. And for the first time ever, the right wing has a president in the White House who has promised to completely back their causes. If ever there was a time to annex the West Bank, this should have been it. But alas, no. They feel just as betrayed by Netanyahu as the Palestinians do by the Arabs. The question is whether enough of them will band together to boot him out of office. Finally, the other big losers are what I would call the Israel cynics or the Israel haters, those who believe that Israel is just an imperialistic racist country that hates the Arabs. Israel has always maintained that any time the Arabs will want to make peace, Israel will do it. The critics have long argued that that was just a whitewash, a bluff to make Israel look good, since Israel knew no Arab state would take them up on it. Well, when the bluff was called, Israel went all in. It's a powerful signal. There really is an opportunity for any and all Arab countries to make peace with Israel. All they have to do is be willing.
So there's a lot more to say, but I'm a little crunched for time today. This gives you the basics, and we'll see what happens. One of the reasons that the UAE can make peace with Israel is that they don't share much of a history together. Israel and the UAE are a thousand miles apart and haven't ever fought a war. You can't say the same for Lebanon or Syria or Saudi Arabia or Iraq. It's hard to imagine any near-term future in which peace comes with those countries. But even if just the Gulf states make peace with Israel, that will be an historic realignment of the Middle East. And of course, there's always the possibility that it won't actually change that much. Peace with Egypt and Jordan was utterly game-changing since they were hostile neighbors. Peace with the UAE could just end up being a nice benefit, but no real deep lasting change. Either way, hey, I'm excited. This morning I saw pictures of a highway in Tel Aviv lined with Israeli and UAE flags. Hard to imagine, but wonderful to see. Alright, so unless something else historic happens this week, right back to season 4 next time, talking about the beginnings of Palestinian terrorist organizations in the 1960s. The music today was Miriam El Fanoon and the dulcet speaking tones of Benjamin Netanyahu. This has been episode 99 of Jew I Don't Know. Thanks for listening, everyone. Lahitra out. See you later. <laughs>